We recording, KP? If we are on, guys, let's do this. Welcome, Project Mindset, episode two. This is an interview that has been long overdue and uh, wasn't easy to make happen. We recorded this in front of a live audience at our new listing at 1601 Antigua in the heart of Dover Shores. And man, this is a this is a story with somebody that has made an enormous impact in my life for over two decades. My mentor Thatch Nguyen. I'm so excited for you guys to be able to hear his whole story. I learned some things in this interview that I didn't know about before, and it's really hard to say which is more valuable: the secrets that he shares about real estate investing, or the secrets that he shares just about life in general. Um, he flipped it up on me at the very end because he's been my coach, and he actually asked me some questions about the things that uh, Alan and I have done to invest into real estate and, and do some really cool things. So take a listen for that. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Take some notes. He dropped some serious gems. I'm done talking. Meet the man, the myth, Mr. Thatchmoy. All right, man, where do we begin? So I'll... All right, so, so I met Thatch. Um, I met Thatch when I was in high school. My mom worked for a motivational real estate company, and uh, in the mid-'90s, she... Uh, she sold Thatch a seminar that uh, shifted his career. And, you know, I was into skateboarding and DJing, and my mom was always trying to expose me to people who were doing big things in life. But if you didn't skate or rap, I really was not that interested. And uh, <laughs> I'd be in my room scratching, and Thatch would always come in, what's up, cutting it up? In here, and I'm like, okay, I don't know who that dude is. Yeah. <laughs> I really was not trying. Oh, like 24, 25? Yeah. I knew he was doing well. I didn't know how well he was doing until um, and we lived in a little tiny apartment in, in Santa Ana. And one day I come home from school, and um, the garage of our apartment just starts to lift up, and there's a brand new, brand new CL55 in my garage. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we won the lottery. What? My mom didn't tell me this. I'm like, what in the world? And uh, I get inside the house. I'm like, mom, whose car is that? She's like, oh, that's Thatch's. I'm like, I need to talk to Thatch. <laughs> so uh, later that night, he did not find this out until a couple years later. I was 16 at the time. But um, Thatch changed my life before I ever really spent any time with him because that night, I slowly turned the car on put it in neutral, push it out of the garage, and I took that thing for a drive. Him and all his buddy. <laughs> and um, fast forward just the next few years, you know, I started working for that company. I became a father my junior year of high school, and the first person that I told, even before my mom, um, was my best friend Jonas and Thatch. And he just said, man, I'll tell you what, I'll talk to you every week. You know, and not one of these programs where you got to sign up and I had to give him. He's like, look, I'll talk to you every week. And that's what he did. He for, for, for what? Why? And he spent time with me every week, helping me understand mindset, helping me understand the law of attraction, helping me understand the art of contribution and living by giving. So um, it's been an amazing 
20 plus years getting to know this dude and seeing him at that time what I thought was doing huge things but really to learn what he's doing now is is incredible so one more time let's make some noise for Thatch Nguyen so so give us some insight in the beginning. Uh, you know, I know you came to the States in 1975 as a, as a five-year-old. Tell us a little, little bit more about that, that experience and what that was like. Yeah. For a lot of you guys who don't know, uh, my dad used to work for the U.S. military back in Vietnam when the U.S. soldier was in Vietnam, and he was a translator. And so one day... Um, his boss called him and says, uh, we're pulling the troops out of Vietnam and we're leaving. And so you should, you should go home, get your family and you should come on us on the plane and leave. Otherwise the Vietnamese communists are going to come into South Vietnam and they're going to take over the country. And uh, I'm sure anyone who live, work for the U S military is going to pretty much die or be in prison. So my dad called my mom and says, Hey, uh, my dad was 34 at the time. My mom was 29. Anyone in this room in their high 20s? Raise your hand. Okay, so imagine if, that was, if you guys are in your age and you have to evacuate your country with five kids and my mom was pregnant with my sister, okay? And my dad called home and says, uh, pack uh, all person belonging and, and I'm gonna come home and get you. We're gonna leave the country. And my mom was like, what? So we had one suitcase and we had less than $100. My dad came home, picked us all up, got into this Jeep, drove up to the airport. It's about a five-hour drive. And on to the airport, we blew two tires, had a flat twice. And by the time we got it fixed, we got to the airport, we missed the last plane. My dad called his boss, couldn't get a hold of the boss. After a few tries, finally got a hold of him. And it was getting late at night now. And um, we was in Saigon. My dad got a hotel, stayed there. We haven't ate all day, all of us. And my mom was running around trying to find food as we were in the hotel, and my dad finally found the boss. Uh, and the guy says, tomorrow morning, meet us at this gas station, and we're going to get you out, and we're going to go on the last plane with me. And you got the whole city did not know that the communist is coming in, so everybody's living normal. So they didn't want to wow. create a frenzy. And so we got to the airport, uh, this gas station, you guys, us and a bunch of other family got into this U-Haul truck and they shut down the back door and it was pitch black. And the truck drove through town and we got to the airport. When we got to the airport, they opened the door. Inside the gate of the airport, there was people running everywhere like crazy, frantic, everywhere. By the time we got out onto the plane, checked in, um, we flew out on the last plane. And uh, you guys see the clips where you see on CBS where the wall started coming down. That was pretty much one of the last planes that left us. So we came... And what's crazy is every time I come to California, and I was in San Diego for the last three, four days, we landed at Camp Pennington, which is down the street from here. Wow. And that was where all the big refugee camp was in Camp Pennington. So we landed there. We were there for about, uh, about a month. And uh, Governor Evans from Washington State came down to help migrate some of the refugee. And our family, with the first 500 family, left California, went to Washington, stayed at another shelter up there called Camp Murray, we were the first family to step foot on the air uh, on Camp Murray, and if you guys ever see the newspaper article, you see and PBS, they wanted to interview my dad because he was the first family that stepped on foot. My dad didn't want to be on TV. Wow! So we got articles of it. Uh, I saw when you guys see me post some of it. A lot of it, all those articles. 
So we grew up in South, we grew up in Seattle. We lived in this one bedroom, no bath house with a river that run through late at night, you know, during the winter time. And uh, I grew up normal, just living in a normal family, you know, and didn't know nothing about mindset, didn't yeah. know nothing about money. Uh, of course, you know, we used to eat, uh, we used to get food stamps. We used to be in line going to the food, uh, to the um, to the food banks. Yeah, I remember the big block of cheese. You remember, anybody ever ate block of cheese? <laughs> right, we had those many yeah. times, and the big bag of cereal we can eat. Yeah. It made Costco bag <laughs> small, basically, right? Uh, so we, I've been through all that, and um, throughout that, I went to school, and um, I had paper route. I, you know, what's interesting for me, I look back today. And how many siblings that? I got four older brothers, one younger brother, and one younger sister. Okay. And I look back, and I think that all of us, we all, everybody have a different wire for different things. I notice that now as I, you know, raise my kid, right? Yeah. But I didn't realize back then, I actually had uh, more inspiration than my brother and them. So let me ask you this. Do you think that there was a, a moment, was there a moment that made you who you are? Yes. That, that gave you the, the inspiration to, to succeed, yep. you know, as you... Maybe 20 years ago, it was maybe more ego-driven, yep. materialism-driven. But do you think there was a, a moment or a time where you said, all right, I'm going yeah. to be different? Yeah. What was that? Yeah. And as soon as I say this, you're going to appreciate this. Yeah. Because I think every one of us have those pivoting points. Open Winfrey call it a pivoting point, right? I call it a life moment, right? We all got that. When I started in real estate in 1991, I was 21 years old, and... My first three years, I was working part-time real estate, part-time Safeway, part-time body shop. I was only selling three, four homes a year for three years in a row. And then in 1994, um, I got trained by uh, Mike Ferry, and then I started door knocking. In 1994, I made a commitment to door knock 100 doors a day, every single day, five days a week, no matter what the weather is. And you got to know Seattle's always raining, which yeah. is true. And I made a commitment, every day I'm going to do that, and I'm not going to stop. And I did that every day for 10 years. I knocked on 100 doors. It took me five hours to do it every single day. And I didn't realize it. Those 100 doors, Kev, was like you're running for the last 100 days. Right. Okay? Yeah. And I was building mindset, which I didn't know what I was doing. Because there were days, you got it was cold, and it's lonely. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and ain't nobody out there. People are slamming the door in my face when I was new at this game. I remember so many people used to say to me, Go learn how to speak English before you knock on my yeah. door, right? Don't bug me, right? I ain't moving. And uh, of course, sure when, you, yeah, you when you're 25 years old, you know what I mean? Any well. rejection, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So what happened was this. I started becoming successful after I was in coaching. In 94, I started selling 10 houses. 95, I started selling 15. And then 25, 30, 40. And in my peak at... Uh, 2005, I was selling about 150, 160 homes a year. And at that time, that was a high number. Yeah. Okay? That's still that a like, high number. That's like 10, 15 homes a month. <laughs> yeah. Okay? By myself. Yeah. That was me and Cammie. That's it. One, two people. And what happened was, okay, here's the pivot point. In 1996, I was a millionaire at that time already selling real estate. And Mike Ferry had me on stage many, many times for being this young Vietnamese guy you know, doing well, and you know, at, when you're at a Mike Fair seminar, when you get on stage, everybody want to meet you, right? Yeah. And so my head got big, my ego was out of control, right? Uh, I would eat at really expensive restaurant all the time because I can say I'm rich and I eat at these expensive restaurants. I knew I was gaining weight like crazy, right? 
And but no one tell me the difference. Every time you hang out with people that does that, they just basically patching it back right. and go keep going. Today, I tell people that something different. I don't tell people to do stuff like that. But that's another conversation in a minute. But what happened was, my pivoting point was, and I don't share this story too many times. I'm gonna share it today. I'm at the office working, and uh, I get a page from the front desk that that's when you come to the front office. I walk up to the front office and I see this white guy and this white lady all nicely suited. And they say, may I speak to you privately? And I'm thinking, wow, you know, I didn't realize I have an appointment, okay. So we go into a conference room, we shut the door and I say, can I help you? And then the guy basically pulled out his wallet and he says, my name is blank, 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 I work for FBI. And this is blank, 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 and she worked for IRS. And I am here because we just took down one of the biggest drug dealer in Seattle, and we did some research on you, and you're the person that sold him his house. And I'm here because we are taking everybody down who was associated with him, and because you actually sold him the house in the federal court system, you are actually money laundering and cleaning his money, and we believe that you knew he's a drug dealer, and so we're gonna actually take you through the grand jury, and we're gonna test, uh, uh, we're gonna actually um, uh, prosecute you, and we want to find out if you actually did know that he ha he was selling drugs. Because if, he, if, if we find out that you knew, then you're going to go to prison 15 years. So think about that comment you got. Here I am high on my horse. Is what, in what year was this? This is 1996. Okay, yeah. And that moment right there, I had, million, I had a couple million bucks in the bank. I thought I was invincible. And in that moment, I realized when I was getting ready to face prison, there was, I had no power, dude. Yeah. I lost all my power. I'm like, well, I, I can't control this stuff. And that was the moment I realized all the money you have, all the, you know, nice Morton dinner you ate, you know what I mean? All the stuff on the, you do on the panel, you got no more power. All your power is gone. Right. And I'm hopeless and helpless in that moment. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I'm about to go to prison, right? And I reached out to some people. They gave me some attorneys. And luckily, I got some really good attorney. And I remember go and see this attorney, you guys, and he had the top of the tower, Columbia Tower in Seattle, highest building you can be at. And I walked into his office, and the guy says, you're going to have a little problem because you're Vietnamese, you live in a neighborhood like Costa Mesa, and you drive a Mercedes-Benz, and you have a lot of friends from all walk of life, and the feds is going to use that to prosecute you to say that you're probably selling drugs or cleaning three months while you drive a Mercedes-Benz, you're a minority. And um, you're gonna need somebody to uh, uh, to um, hold, you know, as a lawyer. And then I'm gonna tell you another person. You're gonna need a second lawyer because at that time, Cam and my wife were not my wife yet. He says you're gonna need someone for her because they're not gonna come after you. They're gonna go after her first. And I'm like, what? And they're gonna try to go after her. Have them snitch on me. So it's gonna cost you fifteen thousand dollar non-refundable retaining fee for you. $15,000 for Cammy. And at that time, I luckily had money. So, quick tip if you're working, make sure you guys are saving your money because you never know when the rainy day is going to come. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And so. How long of a process was that? Two years, bro. Two years. So, Cammy, this is how crazy it was, guys. This is why I learned mindset. That's why when I tell you guys out there, I don't say this to stroke myself. I believe that I'm one of the best mindset coach out there mm -hmm. because I lived it. Okay, Cammy usually go to the grand jury. If you guys don't know how the grand jury work, 
you go in, your, her attorney has to sit outside, and she's inside with all the prosecutor and the judge, and the prosecutor can drill as many questions they want, and everything you say better be consistent when it comes down to the trial day. And so her attorney had to sit outside. She was going to the grand jury every month for almost two years. Wow. And I was out in the lobby basically waiting for every time she'd go down, which is sad to see that she's getting tortured. But the part that was hard for me, you guys, I was selling about 70 homes, 80 homes a year at that time in 1996, 97. And my attorney says, you got to keep selling 80 homes a year. Right. Otherwise, they're going to think you sell a lot of homes to drug dealer because if you don't produce results, they're going to think why you sell. Right. You got to keep going out there and door knock and keep producing results. So as Cammy is going to the grand jury, you guys, I had to go on the street and I had to continue to knock five hours a day, five days a week, and still um, produce 80 deals a year, okay, and keep it up. And the worst part of it, everything I made, they I put in my bank account, they freeze my bank account. I can't even use my own money for anything. So why, why even bother door knocking? Yeah. Why not throw in a towel? Yeah. See what I mean? How about... You know, when I think about that, I think about how your mindset must have been. And in real estate, you know, we're in a room probably filled with most, uh, most of us are in real estate. So much of our ability to yeah. close a deal yep. lies on one word. This right. one word. Attach. Uh, this, th- without this one word, I don't think a sale is possible. And that's rapport. That's right. So if your mindset was messed up, that's how right. were you able to still get into a rapport with people? Yeah, this is why. This is one of my secret weapons. It sounds so easy, Kev, when I say this, but very hard to master. It's called perspective. And let me tell you what I mean by perspective. When I was selling real estate, I was selling with the perspective, I want to be on the panel to be recognized, to be seen, to be heard, to be a, you know, to have the light shine on me, me, yeah. me, 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 right? And that's easy because everyone want to have the ego stroke. But when the moment when the attorney says, everything you sell, everything that you make is going to go in your bank account and you can use it. Right. But you got to keep selling 80 homes a year. Otherwise, you're going to basically say, I'm guilty. That's why I can sell some house. I sell home to a drug dealer. And you are jeopardizing your own spouse on going to prison also for 5 to 15 years. Right. So in that moment, I had to change my perspective. And I had to change why I'm selling real estate. Mm. Why I'm out there door knocking five hours a day. And the why was I'm doing this to save my wife. Yeah. See the difference? I moved from me to Cammy. So I had to stay out there and door knock 100 doors a day, get cursed out, go on listing appointment, show houses. Because I want to make sure I can sell 80 homes so I can get her off the hook. Because the first thing for me was I want to make sure that she's off the hook. So there's only one person got to deal with going to prison for 15 right. years, not two people. Yeah. So the whole time I'm door knocking for two years every day, 100 doors a day for five hours a day, was to make sure that I produce the result to get her yeah. off, out of the high chair. And that's perspective. See? I heard, I've heard you talk before about how you would give your attorney yes. affirmations. Yes. I'm a, uh, a, a big believer in affirmations. I shared uh, my affirmations with my buddy Johnny Farrell today because he sent me his, um, and he just sent me a message this morning and said, man, it's so crazy how when you say certain things over and over and over and over, you actually start to believe them. And the reality is 
we're saying affirmations every day, every single day, whether you believe it or not, or conscious or unconscious. Yeah. And um, tell them about the the affirmations that you created. So for your at attorney. that time, I was being coached by a good friend of mine who passed away, John Alexandrov. Yeah. Right. And he had this book called Affirmation of Wealth, and I learned a lot about affirmation, and I was using a lot. And at that time, I I was doing affirmation, you know, probably 10, 15 times a day. And I used to write affirmation like, I'm a free man, right? I'm going to be in, in uh, you know, I, I had this other why. This is another perspective. My other why was give my wife off, and I'm off. And I made a commitment to God, and I said, when I'm out of this mess, one of my things I'm going to do, I'm going to take my family every single year, everybody in my house, right? My side and came as far as like 15 of us, right, before we had kids. Every year, anyone who want to go, I'm all expense pay, first class, everything, hotel, airplane, I'm paying for it. As my way of actually making money and sharing the wealth with my family, and that was my commitment. I said, God, get me out of this mess. And so part of that was all part of my affirmation. So I was writing affirmation, reading it to myself. Cameron writing affirmation to myself. And I told my attorney, listen, if I'm going to pay you $15,000, right, that here's a set of affirmation <laughs> that I want you to read. And the affirmation was, I'm a great attorney. I'm a powerful attorney. I get Thatch off. I get Cammy off. And it was a whole sheet of affirmation. And I had him read it. And I said, look, man, I'm paying you. You got to read this. I want you to believe it, too. Yeah. And yet, you know what he says? Wow, this is pretty powerful. I'll, I'll do it. Fast forward, you guys. 1997, July 4th, okay? My attorney called and says, you know, Cammy's been off the hook. Okay, she's off the hook. They gave her immunity. She's out, but they're gonna come get you on Monday. That, cause they can't. They got nothing out of Cammy. They want you now. I was at home, and he and Cammy decided, you know, they're gonna come get me now. So you're off, honey. You don't have to deal with it. We go to Vancouver, BC, to mentally prepare myself to get ready to go to trial, and then mentally prepare myself to go to prison. And I didn't even realize, Cam, I was actually going up there practicing surrendering to this worst case scenario. Mm. If you ever want to succeed at a high level, you gotta accept the worst case scenario because if you accept the worst case scenario in your life and your business, you can't go any further below that. Yeah. The only reason why people don't succeed, they're scared that they're gonna fail and look stupid. Yeah. But if you accept the worst case scenario from how you look to your friend, to yourself, to your family, to the community, and flat broke moving back with your family, if you can accept that as the worst case, you can never fail because you can't go below ground yeah. other than if you die. So I prepare myself. I came back, and I waited for my attorney to call me because they said they're going to come pick me up on Monday. Monday came by, the Fed didn't come. Tuesday, the Fed didn't come. Friday, the Fed didn't come. A week, two weeks later, the Fed didn't come. And I called my attorney, and I said, I've been at home waiting for the last two weeks, man. I'm getting tired of waiting. And the attorney said, I don't know what's going on. And you know what? In that moment, this is the moment. I realized I already beat the universe. The universe has been praying because everything I've been doing and saying has all lined up. And that was the moment I realized, Kev, that my thoughts and my focus is powerful. And in that moment, when the moment I declare I already won this, they never call. They never pick me up. A month later, my attorney and I talk, and he says, you're the only person out of everyone I've ever done this work with for 30 years, been this close to the front doorstep and never gone in and do any time, wow. even though you're innocent. So I don't know what the deal was. I don't know what the affirmation, but I knew it's called the power of focus. Yeah. And this is the power, guys, that you got to learn how to tap into. Let's make some noise for that. 
So, you know, the thing is, everyone in this room has been there, not Pippin Point, you know, yeah. for you, right? Jonas was at Pippin Point mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. Your dad, when he passed away, was at that point. Yeah. Your kid, your first child yeah. was at that Pippin Point. Yeah. The question is, are you awake yeah. to see that as the blessing and use that as the opportunity or say, is God still punishing me? When I think what's important to recognize is how certain things make us feel, right? Because it's not how, it's not what happens to us, but it's how we react. It's easy to have something fall in your lap that maybe you didn't think was yeah. a positive thing. Right. And then you don't learn that until later. I, I was telling a friend of mine that the universe is like our Mr. Miyagi. Right. You're you're going through the motion of doing these things. Wax on, wax off, paint the fence up, down that you're like, why is this happening? What is the point of doing it? Right. And little do you know, you're being trained. You know, you're being trained for greatness. Um, but I think the key is to whatever happens to you to make to, to be aware of how is this causing me to feel? Um, I think the acceptance of your worst case scenario it's is one popular. of the most powerful exercises you could do because whatever it is that we're feeling we're going to attract more things anyways that caught that match with that vibration so you think about your goal okay I want, my goal is to be a millionaire so let's say you say your goal is to be a millionaire but when you say that goal you feel fear you feel doubt you feel lack you'll never actually reach that until you overcome that make-believe story and allow yourself to just feel what's possible. You know, you have to match the energy of your goal in order for you to reach it. Yeah. yeah. You know, what I noticed when I mentor a lot of people, the fear, it's not, you guys, that you guys are, you know, like, oh, man, you know, uh, 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 what, if, you know this, you know, what if I make it? What's going to happen? I'm telling you, your biggest fear, in my opinion, okay, is that when you succeed... How are you going to handle it? Here's the one the question that everybody asks me. Dad, my friends feel like I'm moving away from them. They feel like I'm snobby. They feel like we're not the same homie like back in the day. How do you become successful and still keep your friends back in the days? How do you still keep that relationship? Because everybody feel like, you know, we're not homies no more because you're rich and that, you know, they still left where they're at. That's a common question. And that's the reason why unconsciously most people don't want to be successful yeah. because they don't want to leave their friends and their family behind. All the time. Okay, that's part of one of the fear. Yeah. You know? That's powerful. So give us the scope of what is your business? What does your life look like now? Yep. You know, are you doing real estate? Do you just do development? Do you a little bit do a little bit of both? Yep. So um, you know, you guys see my kids. They they just took off to be back in a minute. Russell's twelve years old and Hudson's ten years old. Before they were born, one of my mentors said to me, You can be rich selling real estate, making millions of dollars, but you will never be wealthy unless you own real estate. Because owning real estate, you can trade your money for time. And selling real estate or flipping houses or building new construction, it's a job. It's just a higher paying job. That's it. You got a lot of money, you drive a nice car, you live in nice houses, but if you don't own real estate investment, right, then it's still just a high paying job and you don't have freedom option of choice. 10, 20, 30 years down the road. You're still on the, what I call the treadmill of, of the rat race, 
and you just running and you don't even know why you're running so long. And then every time you see one of your friends, oh my God, you know, he got a new Rolls Royce. And then you're like, I want one. And you run fast on the treadmill. And then you don't realize, God damn, I've been running for a long time. Yeah. And so I was at Warren Buffett uh, event not too long ago here. I'm one of the st- shareholders. And um, Warren Buffett on stage says, if you don't find a way to make money when you're asleep, you're going to have to work until you die. Mm. When I heard that, I was like, damn. Yeah. So I was selling real estate from 1991. And my good friend Saul had been drilling in my head, one day you're going to have kids. I promise you, you're going to want to be at their baseball match. And it sucks that you can't be at their baseball match. You're going to want to actually help out at the field one day. And one day, you ain't gonna have, you, if you don't have rental home, you're not going to be able to do it. It's going to suck. Believe me when I tell you this. And luckily, my wife, she doesn't like to be on camera. She doesn't like to be in crowded places. Like, that's why she took off. Right? She is the Miyagi yeah. of life. She's your Mr. Miyagi, yeah. for sure. And Cammy was the smart one to listen. And so uh, we started buying. We started making money. And I used to charge the transaction fee with nine ninety five mm-hmm. in every deal I did. And I used to take that money. I used to live off that money. Every time I did 10 deals, I'd make 1000 bucks times 10. That was like 10 grand a month. I live off that. And all my commission, I save it and I buy rental houses. But I've actually never heard you say that before. Never? That's insane. Yeah. What is that? Say it, let me say it again. <laughs> I would so, take a listing. So you take your whole commission. And I, li- and I would and buy. And that was to invest. And I live off my transaction fee. You lived fee. off the transaction fee. That's right. That's insane. Yeah. That's amazing. Nine ninety five. You do ten deals a month. That's ten thousand dollars, right? I live off that, and then I take all the money I make in commission. I will save it, and then every time I had enough money for five, ten percent down, I buy another rental house. And so, just get. When did you buy? What year did you buy your first rental house? I bought my first rental house in nineteen ninety five. Nineteen ninety five. I bought it for a hundred and five thousand. I put five grand down. Okay. Think about how much real estate cost you guys back in 1995. Yeah. Don't you wish you'd own a lot more of them today? God. Okay. I bought it for 105000 Danny, you know where this shelter street in 15th, right? And I put five grand down. And today, that house, I own it pretty much free and clear. And it's worth 650000 It's gone up six times. So and how, and yeah. how many single-family residences do you own? I probably own over 50-plus single-family houses all around Seattle. So single 50-plus single-family houses. And then how about doors, like apartment buildings, we have, units? We own over 150 doors. We're building 100 doors right now in downtown Oakland right now. We got another site right now we're building right now in Seattle. It's going to be a 40-unit site, another 140-unit. So we got another 140-unit uh, that we're working on right now. Yeah. My goal right now is to get to a million dollars a month in passive income. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. I can live off that finally. Yeah. Right now I can't live. <laughs> All right, my transaction fee is keeping yeah. me down. <laughs> so today, to answer Kevin's question, I s- still have a residential team, me, my wife Cammy, and an assistant. And today I realized my best use of time is not to sell 200 homes a year. But I work my referral, so I do about probably 60 or 70 deals a year. Um, and purely all listings, no buyers. I refer all the buyers out. And I do that today, Kev, to live off the money of my commission check. And then I take all of the money I make from other things and keep parlaying yeah. it and buying investment property. So I have one business that is selling real estate. I have another business that we buy single-family fixer, and we fix them up, and we pretty much keep most of them. Some of them don't fit my criteria. I sell them. I buy raw land. I build townhouses, multi-unit townhouses. 
And then I have another division. We buy Raleigh, we build apartment building, mid-rise apartment building. And then I have a property management business. So I have five That's business awesome. and then a coaching business. That's awesome. So six business. That's very cool, man. Yeah. Really cool to see the whole the whole scope from um, selling real estate. Yeah, just nineteen ninety one. Yeah. So what what was the shift for you? When did the shift occur when you realized okay? Because I I feel like I noticed it maybe four or five years ago when you went from being a real estate guy selling right. a, lot a lot of homes to a developer. Yes. When did that occur? So for you guys who sell real estate, you can appreciate this. I think real estate is one of the best vehicles to make a lot of money in such a short period of time. Yeah. For the amount of money you make, it's almost stupid. Yeah. For the amount of money all you guys who sell real estate out there, it's almost stupid. You think about it. You think about it. We make more money than CEOs of big companies. Yeah. Okay? That's how crazy it is. And I'm a high school dropout. And you're a high school dropout, right? Oops. My kids uh, are here. And for me, what happened was this, you guys. I was selling 150 homes a year. I was making over a million bucks. And if you're selling a lot of houses, you're making a lot of money, I don't care if you got a big team out there. The bigger your team, the more involved you got to be, okay? Your time and energy and mindset is spent on managing your people, motivating your people, continue to train your people, right, to make sure they're doing well. And what I realized was the more business I did, Kev, and you know, and you can appreciate this, and a lot of, we, 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 we talked about this, I feel more trapped in my own business. Yeah. I couldn't travel to Maui and spend two weeks in Maui without the phone ringing. Thatch, I need you. You're the man on the sign. It's Thatch Real Estate. Where are you at? I don't want this guy. I don't want this gal. I can't even be in Asia, overseas, when the time zone is the opposite way, and they call him and they expect me to email and respond in the same moment, but the time zone is somewhat different, yeah. and I can't handle that. And they used to get mad. They feel like I'm not giving them the service, and I just didn't feel like I had a life. What I thought doing real estate is life, but the more busy I got, the more money I made, the more trapped I felt. Mm. And what was crazy was the amount of money I was making. At the end of the day, me and Kevin were making a million dollars a year, I was buying some houses, but I wasn't killing it as in I was making $500 per door back then. Right. It wasn't a lot. It was just, I see the reward today. Yeah. But I couldn't afford to buy Ferraris. Yeah. I couldn't afford to buy anything more than Mercedes Benz. So I was getting pissed off like, man, I, was, I ain't making enough money. Yeah. The moment I make, the more I trap I feel, something's got to change. Yeah. And that was the pivotal point to me. What year was that? That was in uh, around 2001. Okay. And that's when I realized that if you want to really, really start making real money, you got to go outside of selling real estate. Right. But I also realized, fast forward today, if you sell real estate, you should still keep your real estate business and go and invest. That way, you can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I didn't realize that because I shut my business down right. in 2007, eight. And I realized I should have never shut it down because I was depending on my investment to turn. Right. And the problem when the market turned, it took a long time to get your money back as an right. investor. And then now my Rolls Royce payments are jeopardy. <laughs> and I had to jump back in and start selling real estate, which I should have never stopped selling real estate. How much of uh, your, your success is fueled by cars? Your, your car game has always been really on point for as long as I can remember. Now, I'm going to say this that's going to give you guys some enlightenment. I'm a big advocate. If you love cars, if you can afford it, 
even the monthly payment, you should do it. Let me tell you why. Why is it that when all of us go on vacation, when you're on vacation, you're listing sales, people call in and say, I want to buy a house, I want to sell a home, right? Buyers are calling, offers getting accepted. Everything is running smooth when you're on vacation all the time. Every time you're on vacation. Let me tell you the secret. I realize, Cam, you know that you just said it. When you're on vacation, you don't resist life anymore. You're in the moment and you're enjoying time with your family. You're enjoying the present of vacation. All resistance is gone and you are truly in a place of true joy. When you enjoy, you attract more things that bring you more joy. So, in what my goal was, Kev, was when I learned that, I say to myself, how can I bring Maui back to Seattle every day? And to me, car is a Maui for me. So if I make a monthly payment of $3,000, but it's going to help me feel joy and create magic and stuff that I attract so I can make more money, I'm going to do it. Cammy, my wife, is not a practical person, but she realized, because we, we talk about the same teacher, Yeah. she says, go for it. So I say today, if cars is not your thing, if it's purse for the female, if it's wardrobe, is it, you know, whatever it is for you, if that's the thing that makes you feel good and every time you put it on and you feel good, do it. Because it's going to help raise your vibration to joy like you're in Maui every single day. So my car game, I man, you know, I had everything. Yeah. I had everything. Yeah. yeah. Right? And it feels like the moment you got the 458, why does it feel like six months later you're trying to sell it to me? <laughs> <laughs> it's not just crazy car game it's like you always have the brand new ferrari yes. the brand new rolls and the yes. way thatch does his cars up is just amazing because you could you never leave it stock no you never leave no. it stock listen i for me again cars and just stuff that i like is just bringing maui back to seattle so i can be in that state what i call the state of joy yeah okay and for me, when I buy the car, I love designing it. I like to build it from factory, how I want it. And then I like to, when I get it back, I like to build it, customize right. it. And then I joy ride for a year or two. And then I'm done. I want to go on to the next project, like building a house. Yeah. I love building. Anyone who is investing in building, it's the, it's the game of designing, right? Yeah. And seeing it come to fruition. And you love it, right? Like every Look house I build, I always want to keep all of them. Like this house. This house is beautiful, right? Yeah. Good job, you guys. You guys did awesome on that, right? The problem is when you build an expensive home, it's hard to keep it as a rental because it doesn't cash flow as well yeah, unless you yeah. leave all your equity in there. Yeah. But cars to me is that. And I know Alana is like Cammy. I call Kevin because I can sell it to Kevin. I'm a good salesman <laughs> and he loves cars. Cam, yeah. you should buy this. And so then the Alana come on the other line like, shut up. <laughs> Hang the phone up. But I tell you, Cammy, Alana, she's at the point where she'll realize if that's what's going to make my man make a lot of money, good for him. Nice. Last Sounds year, I don't good say to me. Too. I don't say this to impress you. I say it to inspire you. I made probably $600,000 in selling real estate last year, but I made almost $5 million in fixing and flipping and developing houses. Yeah. $5 million net to me. Okay? So if and, buying and a car about, is going to give me 3000 if I said to Alana, give my man a $3,000 Ferrari, and he said he'll give you $2 million income, who wouldn't do it? Sounds who like a deal to me. Go get that in writing. Thank you, Thatch. Uh, Appreciate Kevin, it. Kevin, I got a There's going to be an argument at the Sturdivant hey, household later tonight, but 
Uh, Kev doesn't know this, but you know, I, I just bought a brand new 488 convertible Spider Ferrari last year, white with red interior, and you know, it's coming around two years. Oh, shit. <laughs> I bought it last year in July, right? So July already came already. So it's a year and seven months, six, three months. But you know, uh, I'm thinking of selling that car. Really? Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll talk. <laughs> Get me in trouble. So um, let me ask you this. What, what, what would you say the values are that you live by? Yes. Right? Because one of the things that I really appreciate about you is uh, the opposite of, I think, what we hear so much That's on right. social media or whatever. You hear so much of like grind, yes. right? Like, you know, you're going to have to sacrifice time with your family. You know, you, you hear a lot of that in, so, in social media of just like the 24-7 grind. That's Work right. yourself to the bone. And That's right. what I really appreciate about you is that you make time to do things like this. Seems like you go on a lot of vacations. That's right. right? My kids come with me. Constantly, see, constantly seeing you at your kids' baseball games, right. right? So what are the things that, that you think really make you who you are? Um, after doing a lot of soul searching, for me, the best thing that happened to me, you guys, was almost going to prison because it makes you go deep in soul searching. Who are you? Here's the question I want all you guys to think about. Who are you? You're definitely not a real estate agent. You're not a developer. You're not a dad. You're not a mom. You're not a multimillionaire. If you're not all that, who are you? When I mean, you think about it at a deep level, right? And so um, I realized um, going through a lot of my own life experience, Cam and I spent a lot of time doing some deep soul searching. And what we realized is we have six core value in life. Core value number one, the highest one for me is contribution. Every time I do something, guys, I always measure to my core value to see if it's aligned. If it's aligned, I pull the trigger. If it doesn't align, I don't pull the trigger. Kevin, when he called me, he says, you want to do this? It's aligned to my core value, right? Making a difference to the world. There's certain people that ask me to do podcasts that is not a contribution world. They doing it because they want to use me to actually help give them more visibility, and I don't really do those kind of podcasts because they feel like, I feel like I'm being used. They're not really the true contributor in the world. Does that make sense? The second core value is abundance. I believe there's a lot of abundance out there for everybody. That's why you notice I don't have a problem giving away value and content, but I also draw a line where if you want to learn to master it, then you pay me, and I will help you at a deeper level. My third core value is I believe in growth. You got to keep learning, keep growing. Otherwise, there's no purpose of living. Okay? Contribution, otherwise, abundance, growth. growth. The next one is um, creativity. I, I love being creative. Another one is um, um, balance. And then joy. And my last one is simplicity. Yeah. A lot of people always ask me, how do you have so many different business? How do you make so much money? And then also travel and help coach your kid baseball. And then I tell people, because I always measure, is this opportunity I'm going to get into is it going to actually be complex or is it simple? Yeah. And I got tested one day. I never told you this story. I got tested on my core value and I didn't follow my core value, guys. And I lost $250,000. Ouch. My friend asked me, let's invest in Costa Rica in this hotel and a casino down there. And of course, at that time, right, I was young. Yeah. 
It was abundance, right? And he got me all fired up. And he was, he had a friend in Costa Rica that was the head guy. Yeah. The one thing, you guys, that was not there was simplicity. simplicity. It was in Costa Rica. I can't go there. You know what I mean? Didn't have Skype back then. And you know what? I was the guy putting up the $250,000 as the earnest money. Right. And I weighed out the feasibility. And then, of course, the more we did our work, the more I realized this deal is a dead deal. And I put up $250,000, and I lost it in 30 days. That was a lot of money for me. Yeah. Man. That's one of the most amount of money I lost in one check. Yeah. This it's is why amazing it's how the, 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 I said something, I was on doing something the other day, but I said that the, the lesson in the L is usually greater than the reward of the win. Yeah. You know, we're constantly chasing the win, the check, the deal. But so many times when you lose or you catch an L, the lesson that you get in that lasts longer than the deal. You know, we don't necess- we don't want to lose, right. but if you can look at it from a frame of mind like, man, even if I lose, I'm going to receive an extraordinary, invaluable lesson. When you can stand in that place, on top of accepting your worst case scenario, right. think about the amount of fearlessness you'll have as you pursue pursue your day to day. Right. Right. Because so many times we don't we don't even start because we're afraid. But if you're completely okay with bombing, right? And even if you completely screw up, you're going to receive an extraordinary lesson. Yeah. Is there anything to be afraid of? There's no. nothing. Yeah. So that's why I want to tell you guys, it's important to take the time to know your value. So today, part of the value of joy and simplicity, I put it in this one little phrase. is, And you guys see a lot of me wearing my product. Is I have one shirt that says, uh, grind and I cross it out and then the word align and what that means is stop the grind and get aligned yeah. and so that's part of the message right I think there's people out there that preaches grinding and I think unconscious they don't realize that they use the word grind as a very heavy word listen nobody want to grind it nobody want to grind all their life you know what I mean they want to flow the river don't grind the river right. flow yeah kung fu and kung fu master they don't grind they flow but why does human being have to grind when you think about it? We've been trained. We've been trained. Yeah. And listen, have you noticed when you're in Hawaii or wherever case you like to go to, you're in what I call alignment, things magically attract and happen more often. But when you come back to work, instantly the stress and all the grind happen, and then you wonder why things take so long to manifest yeah. because it's the grind. Yeah. Okay? So the key then, what he's, you know, what he's really saying is that align, well, align to what? Aligned to what? Aligned to the greatness and abundance that's already within you. Right. If you close a deal today, let's say you double end. I've been in setting the intention to double end a $23 million home because then I would receive one check for a million bucks. Right? Let's, that's possible. That's Here possible. In Southern California, that's absolutely possible. I've had several friends that have done it. So I said, you know what? That's one of my goals. Let's say that you did that. And you're holding a check right now for a million dollars. The reality is that check didn't shift you. You shifted, mm-hmm. right? You received the thing that caused you to shift. Could you shift without the check? 
Absolutely. Yes, you can. And by tapping into that energy that you already have, letting go of it, and then just doing your thing, enjoying the process. And this is where I want to ask Kevin this question, because a lot of you guys know my other saying is my Vietnamese proverb. Forget the how, a.k.a. fuck how, yeah. right? And you guys see it here. It's spelled P-H-U-K-H-A-U. And for a lot of you guys don't know what fuck how is, it's basically... All of us all have dreams, right? Yeah. We all got big dreams, dreams that's outside the norm. And what happened is that every time you think of your dream, you get so inspired, but then your mind go into this space. They start to ask these questions. How are you going to do it? How is this going to happen? How that? I never done real estate before. I never flipped before. I never sold a million how. How, 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 how. And when the mind can't figure out all the how from A to Z, we will naturally pull back and we will just settle for what we think we should have, but it's not what you really want. And then you live your life in the place of regret all your life. I should have done that, should have done that. And so I always say to people, if you really, really want something, all of us been here, Kevin lived the fuck how, everyone in this room have lived the fuck how, you wanted something really bad and you went for it, you didn't have all the how, but you're gonna pursue it and hopefully you realize the how is gonna show up as you kept walking one step forward, right? You have all lived, I'm gonna do it, fuck how. And so the Vietnamese proverb is, listen, throw the how over the wall, fuck how, because the how will show up the moment you declare what you want. And so I want to ask Kevin to share his story, how him and Alana found their beautiful home they got today. Yeah. Because this is why I wear this shirt, because this is all about learning how to dream big, fuck how. Dream big, fuck how. Because dream big and declare what you want. Yeah. Stop settling for what you think you should have, because tomorrow you got cancer. You're going to wish you would actually live how you really wanted to live. Yeah. The only reason why you don't live what you want to live because you can't figure out how it's going to happen. Yeah. I love in this room, there's a lot of minority in this room, and we all came from zero, and there's a lot of successful people in this room that didn't know how you're going to do it anyway, yeah. but you did it, right? But I want to drill home to tell you, you would never know how because if you knew how, you're dreaming too small anyways because yeah. you're not out of the box. Absolutely. So tell them the story, bro, on because a lot of people always ask me, how did Kevin get this amazing house? Kevin <laughs> this beautiful home. Yeah. How did that happen? Because there is a pivotal point right. that you said you didn't really you didn't need it. Right. Tell them how this whole process worked. Well, it's like everything that that's happened for me in the last basically since 2012, right? My shift occurred in 2012. I lost my best friend. I lost my dad. I lost my uncle. In the mix of that. Uh, my daughter was born and I w really just got into a zone where if I was going to do this business, I was going to do it in a way that I was inspired out of my mind. It was going to have a great feel to it. I was going to focus on extraordinary properties. Before 2012, my average sales price was like 500K uh, at the most. Now it's, you know, it's in the two and a half, three and a half million range. Um, I didn't create a detailed business plan to do that. I just visualized it and started doing the work. And I forced myself to believe that I, I am a luxury agent. I, Kevin Sturdivant, am a luxury agent. I attract buyers and sellers that believe in my ability to sell luxury real estate. While I'm saying that, remember the ego, the ego's not your amigo, is telling me, yeah, right, sure. How da, you gonna da, do that, buddy? You ain't sold a house over 500,000, yeah. fool. <laughs> right? <laughs> and you just have to train yourself over and over. But, um, you know, in 2008, we were basically kicked out of a rental home that was my dream. 
dream home. I used, to, I used to, it was just a rental, but it was like our dream rental, middle of the recession, kicked out of that place. When it came time to buy, um, when we got our stuff together from 2012 to 2014, we were like, I think we could buy a home. You know, we paid all our back taxes, and I think we're doing okay. I think we could buy a like a million dollar home. And Alana and I said in January 2014, we wrote on a piece of paper that by Halloween 2014, we would own a home in the Lower Birds, it's where we used to live, like 1944. That was our old address. The, the smooth cement stucco, the bamboo floors, it was modern. And we wrote that down in January and we got our act together. We got our, our, our credit ready, got ready for the loan looking at houses and we'd go and look at homes and we're like, ah, oh, it's, it's not like 1944 though. Long story short, guess what comes up two months later, 1944. We moved into that home October 23rd, um, seven days before Halloween. It's very, very surreal. We fix it up. We start getting excited about it. We make it really our dream home. And the interesting thing about achieving your dream is you get very, uh, complacent if you don't set a new one is what I've experienced. Mm -hmm. The, I'm telling you, the last two days I have not run my 100 days. I've been in a very weird funk because I, 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 re, I, ran, 100, I ran a 5K 100 days in a row. And the last two days I haven't done anything. Alana's like, you better figure something else out to do, <laughs> right? Point being, back to the house, I'm, we, we wrote down, um, this was at the end of 2017, we wrote down, well, what's our new dream? We've been living in 1944 for a few, few years now, and here was our new dream. 5,000 plus square feet, 23,000 plus on the lot. Quiet, because our last home, there was some noise there. Um, Mid-century modern, Costa Mesa. First of all, that just doesn't really exist. But we were dreaming, right? We're just dreaming. Yeah, we, ha we would have Chris Jones send us title reports of homes with lots above 15,000, right? And it just, it was very rare for it to come up. And long story short, I'm in Seattle in August, and Alana sends me an email or a text, and it says our address, right? She sends me an address. Aren't you there? Aren't you yeah, with yeah, me? Yeah. yeah, she sends me an address, and... It's the address, and she put 5,500 square feet, check. 2,300 square foot lot, check. And then we had a goal for price. We wanted it to be under 2.5. She just put question mark because they wanted like 3.5. And so we just put a, a question mark there. And that was about it. We kind of just left it alone after that. Tell me why two months later, the owner of that property reached out to me because they knew I sold real estate in that area and somebody had passed away and they asked me what my thoughts were on price. And fast forward um, two months later, I'm sitting in a room with this family, and I told Alana, I said, you know what, let's just write up an offer and just give it to them. And because, let's because they father passed away. Father passed away. All the kids are fighting over the inherent. Yeah. Okay. And so um, I have to go in a room and meet with these guys, and um, we weren't fully qualified. Or you know, we had 
only three ways to make this happen. Either one, um, I sell $25 million worth of real estate in 30 days. I'll get 500K there. Yeah, we need 500K for the down payment. Uh, right, you need 500K for the down payment. Number two, we sell our home. Or number three, we flip a property. That's right. And which I I've didn't been telling, even, Which I've been telling Kevin for a while. And Alana, flip houses, flip houses, right? I don't even think about any of those things. I just write the offer. We go, we go to the room. I sit with them. They're all fighting. And I just say, you know what? Here's an offer for, you know, two, three. And within one hour, they just said, sure, we'll take it. <laughs> and I call Alana and I said, they took our offer. She's like, what do you mean? I said, they signed it on the spot. So we're in escrow. Now to come up with the 500K. Yeah. But, but hold on, okay? I want to point out all of us do this. Okay, watch this. What I love what Kevin did, which all of you do this, Kevin and Alana dream. Nothing should stop you from dreaming. They wrote down 5,000 square foot home, Costa Mesa, 15,000 square foot lot and bigger, quiet neighborhood, 2 million. They're dreaming. Does that make sense? Don't let nobody tell you stop dreaming. Yeah. That's why I always tell people to dream big, okay? So number one, they dream, okay? Number two, what I love about Kevin, he does this well. That's why the boy is successful. He just go and do it and figure out how after they sign yeah. the purchase and sale. Yeah. That's like throwing the hat over the wall. Does that make yeah. sense? Again, All why though? Because what is the worst case scenario? You don't get we it. You don't get it. Right? But, 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 but in other situations, you got to think, you know what I mean? You might die or, you know, you got to be embarrassed. But what I love about Kevin, he is, listen, uh, I want this house. I don't, we don't have to find a thousand. Let's write the purchase and sale. We'll figure out how later. Yeah. He doesn't let the mind go, how, 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 how? He unconsciously basically say, fuck how. Let's go write the purchase and sale up. We'll figure out how later yeah. after we get this thing signed. Yeah. Because the moment you sign it, all the how came up. So tell them how the how came up the moment you signed it. What happened then? First of all, I sold more real estate in that first. We, we, we negotiated a 100-day escrow. Okay. I, no joke, sold about $15 million in real estate in like 45 days. Look at that. I See? mean, I went nuts. Okay. But we were still short. And I had knocked on a door in 2012 that I always said was going to be my flip. It was an A-frame. She told me in 2012 that she needed to sell her house. And she then told me that. It became the joke because Alana, I'd tell her, babe, I got a flip for us. I got our first flip. And she said, Christine on Traverse. I said, yeah, she's selling this time. You guys, she told me she was going to sell every month for five years. I'm not even kidding. My whole team knew about Christine on Traverse. She would call me just to talk about the market. I would put my phone on speaker and she would just talk. Why is it that in the middle of escrow, she calls me and she says, I know I've been telling you this for six years, yeah. but I'm ready to sell you my house. That's right. And we bought her house with an investor. We, um, the investor put all the funds up. We bought it for 550, 550 and we closed it for 865 and it was a 90 day process. Look at that. And how much money is that? Someone calculate that real quick, please. Yeah. yeah. Huh? 200,000, right? Yeah. And um, it's just interesting, though, that it, it and, and Thatch asked me, why do you think it happened in this time? That's right. And I said, I never ne I, I never needed to come up with 500,000 in a month. That's right. <laughs> but but right? I mean, let, me, let me let me put it in perspective. 
everyone in this room, everyone's watching on Instagram right now, your life is already amazing. I don't care what level you have because if you compare your life to someone who lives in Mexico and Vietnam, it's already amazing. You can say you want a rosary. You can say you want to find how you don't really need it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. How do you get yourself to like, I want a 5,000 square foot home, 50,000 square feet. Well, he dreamed and watch. Rolls Royces, Ferrari drive in front of you guys every single day. You drive by the dealership every single day. You don't drop and sign a contract and go, order it up. Take six months, I have the money by then. Yeah. My man here says, you know what? The house is here. Order it up. Let me sign it. Right. That's when you need the 500000 Yeah. You got to place the order. And I think the challenge is we come up with goals, but they're just... There's the, the conviction isn't fully there. Mm-hmm. We haven't thrown you haven't thrown your hat over the fence. It's easy to write something down on a piece of paper. I jokingly always tell my team, I'm like the old guy on my team. I'm like, look, guys, you guys have two options if you want to increase your production: buy property or get somebody pregnant. Those are your two options. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> I did both, right? A lot of times, and um. No, but you have to have a burning desire for your why, yeah. right? It, when your why is big enough, you don't get concerned with the how. The how figures itself out. That's right. Yeah. So, folks, that's why I always say, dream big, fuck how. Yeah. If you want it, it will show up. Trust me, the how always shows up. Yeah. This happened all the life. Now, watch this. I'm going to say this to Kevin because I never asked this question. Did you put a business plan together? How are you going to get this 5,000 square foot home, 15,000 square foot lot? Yeah, it was uh, five things. We wrote five okay. things down on a piece of paper. Yes. We, wrote, we wrote the five things we wanted in the home. Yes. We, we had the price, the school district, the size, the design. And then we wrote down the three ways of how we could That's get it. the down payment. Um, exhaust our savings, yeah. not an option. Um, sell our home uh, or flip a home or sell $23 million worth of real estate in 45 days. And it ended up being a a combination of all of those things. The universe has a bigger perspective. You might think A, they might think B, C, D and combine them all together for you. You can't think that big. So I'm saying again, okay, if you want something, here's the fourth step. Declare what you want. Step two. Forget the how, a.k.a. fuck how. Step three, to ease your ego down, write down all the how you think it's going to yeah. happen. That way your ego won't basically, it'll stop tripping. You see what I'm saying? Um, what, he, what, he, what he's saying is come up, have some kind of idea of right. how. Yes, F how, but at the same time, have some sort right. of idea of how you're actually going to do this. Because right? you're not going to know how anyway, even the thing you wrote down. Yeah. So this is your way. So I'm just going to tell you over and over, and over right? And what was number four? Is every time a house shows up and it looks like it could be the possibility, take action yeah. and follow it through. Because halfway down the rabbit hole, you might realize this got you there. The next house is going to show up and then take that action yeah. and follow it. Right. And it will zigzag you to where you got to go. It's been like that all your life. So you ever want something, dream big, you guys. Just declare what you want. Fuck how. And write down every, every possible way you think you can get it. And then follow how, and then take action, take action, take action, and watch it shows up. It happens every single time. Every single time. Trust me. This man living it right now. So how old are you now? 36. 36 years. Look what Kevin have accomplished in 36 years, guy. That man's killing it right now. Give it up to my man right here, man. Why? 
When I first met Kevin, okay, when I first met Kevin, he was only like 13, 14, 15 yeah. Yeah. at your mom's house? Yeah, right? 15. 15. Yep. Okay, 15, 14, 15 years ago, guys. This how it's been what? Almost 20 years now. Yeah. yeah. 20 years. I mean, the, the guy's gone through a lot, but what that's what make him. I always say, and Kevin knows this, you can't, you don't teach from words. You only teach from experience. Yeah. So the more experience you go through in life, the more you're a qualified teacher. All the people out there, all they're trying to be a teacher, they ain't gone through shit. Yeah. They ain't gone through no, no rainy yeah. day. They ain't gone through going to prison. Yeah. They ain't gone through people dying. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's where all the life lesson is in. Yeah. That's the juicy part. So when someone is dying in your family, give the remorse, but thank God for the next experience you just got. Yeah. It's part of the journey, folks. Okay, that's where all the learning comes from, okay? Stop resisting. Go with the flow. Yeah, and make some noise for that. It's funny, I, I, I tell my team this all the time. The only difference between me and you guys is I've just taken more hits. I've fallen more. i failed more. And don't think that once you get to a certain place, like your dream, your dream life, all of a sudden there's no more problems. It's like, there's all, the bigger you go, the only difference is you become a better problem solver. Yeah. That's the only difference. I think the only reason why I'm super positive is because my core DNA is actually super negative. <laughs> like the natural me from my two parents and the upbringing I had growing up on welfare and things like that, I have to be super, super positive and have these um, life hacks because if I don't, I'm going to be way down here. So take a look and, and set things up in your life that will allow you to be aware of what you're really going through. If there's anything that um, we both would like to encourage you about, it's self-awareness and becoming mentally strong. You know, this, this whole 100-day 5K thing was about taking quiet time with myself every single day. And, you know, my grandpa passed away in this season. And the interesting thing is if I didn't have that 30 minutes a day of practicing, I don't think I would have been able to stay in the groove that I did. And there's always going to be uppercuts. The important thing is that before you go out into the world, that you take time for yourself to put your armor on in the three equities, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Yep. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Hope you got some insights and ahas and breakthroughs that are going to help you get on to the next path. As always, this whole experience is just a series of questions asked. And I'm committed to always asking you guys questions that cause you to think in a way that will get you to the next level in life. So here's my three power questions for you for today. Number one, in the spirit of Thatch's ancient Vietnamese proverb, fuck how, the question I have for you is, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? If how and that three-letter word is what gets us in, gets in the way of us in achieving our dreams, let's think past that. If you weren't worried about a how, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? Number two, there's a lot of people out there who talk about making money and the grind and being successful. But as we all know, it's so easy to get caught up in the rat race of business and money. Here's a good question. What are you doing to make your money work for you? How are you investing your money in a way that's going to create passive income where you're making money while you sleep? And lastly, number three, 
Like Thatch says, the river doesn't grind, it flows. What is the energy that you're looking to align to every single day? Here's another way to think about it. If you had already achieved your goals and dreams, what is the energy that you would possess at that time? Is it abundance, gratitude, love, joy, happiness, passion, purpose? Tap into that energy each and every single day. But specifically, what is it for you? What is that energy you're looking to align to every single day? Take some time to think about those questions, everybody. Write it down. There's a lot of magic in writing things down. Looking forward to seeing you on the next one. Share this, subscribe, and I'll talk to you soon.